Good morning. It is wonderful to see you today. It's been a busy morning. You know, today, it's hard to imagine it, <clears throat> but somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion people in the world today are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can you comprehend that? A billion people are in churches or gatherings all over around all, all around the world celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You remember what they said while they were trying to decide what to do with Jesus? And they said, you know what? If this guy's not of God, no one will have heard of him in a few days. Because that's the way it goes with these things. And now, a billion people around the world celebrating on the same day that Jesus is alive. Man, that's amazing. This morning, I want to start right at John chapter 11. Verse number 25, let me give you just a smidge bit of background on this verse. And um, Jesus is speaking to the sister of Lazarus, his friend. Uh, her name is Martha. And they sent word to Jesus and said, hey, Lazarus is sick, please come. Jesus hung out a couple of extra days where he was. Then it was a two-day journey. By the time he got there, Lazarus had been dead four days already. And, and Jesus is having this conversation with Martha. And, and, and of course, we know that from the scripture that, that uh, where it went from there. But let's read verse 25 where it says this. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. We've been in a series of messages over the past month about the real Jesus. And today, what I want to communicate to you is that the real Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Maybe you're wondering today just how important in, in all of, of what is Christianity or the Christian life or faith in Christ, you're wondering how important is the resurrection. I ran across a quote while I was preparing my message from a man named George Carey, and this is what Carey said, and I really like this. He said, belief in the resurrection is not an appendage or an add-on to the Christian faith. It is the Christian faith. So if you're wondering how important the, the resurrection of Jesus is, it is, it is what the Christian faith is all about. Today, what I would like to do is share what I hope are three relevant questions that you may have, especially if you find yourself in a position where you may have been struggling with this notion of the resurrection. Maybe you were raised in a Christian family and you're just not sure. Maybe you have sort of been looking for answers 
and, and you have been trying to figure out if Christianity is really for you. Well, today we are talking about the, the most important central issue in all of Christian faith. And so what I want to do is ask questions that I believe in your search would be relevant in order to come to a place where you can make a decision about it. And the first question that I want to start with is pretty simple. What is resurrection? In order for us to, to make that decision, we have to start by simply understanding what resurrection is all about. And in its most simple form, resurrection is simply returning something from death to life. But there has to be life in order to start with. And so as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, obviously he was alive, then he died, and we're talking about him coming back to life. Jesus claimed in this, this little conversation that he had with Martha, he didn't claim to um, just eventually that he would resur- you know, that he would experience resurrection, that he would come back to, to, to life from death. But he claimed to be the embodiment of resurrection. And that's completely different. And so I want us to take a look at that. I think it's interesting that in Jesus' life, in his ministry, he actually um, raised three different people from the dead during his ministry. He encountered them. This uh, verse from John chapter 11 is one of those um, encounters where he raised Lazarus, but he raised two other people besides Lazarus, and, and he spoke over them, and they came back to life. Uh, There's another thing that I find very interesting, and that is in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and he's sending them out into the world to to go and to to, to minister to people, And, and before he does it, he says to them, I give you authority to raise the dead. So Jesus is saying to us, and and remember back in our messages uh, in the series on the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus is saying, I am the one and the only one who is the resurrection and the life. And so he is saying to to, uh, his people that that I'm giving you authority. Jesus exercised that authority when he raised the dead. And he gave it to his disciples. And we see in the the book of Luke that they raised the dead. So Jesus has this authority and he grants this authority. He obviously possesses the authority to resurrect. We say, well, where did that come from? In Revelation chapter 1 verse 18 John the Revelator records the words that are credited to Jesus, and he says this, I am the living one, I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is declaring to us, Not just that he is alive and he was dead. He's not just saying to us that I I have the authority to raise someone from the dead or I have the authority to give to someone else that they can raise the dead, but I literally hold the keys. 
You see, Hades was a place that, that w- the dead were believed to go after life on this earth. It's one of the forms of hell. And so Jesus is saying, I hold the keys to death in the grave. I hold the keys to hell. I myself, I was dead. I've been raised to life again. I have raised others from the dead. And I've given that authority to others. Let's go to Mark chapter 16, where we see Jesus in his own experience here, what happened after his uh, resurrection. Verse 2, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And they entered, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. The angels here are, this angel is proclaiming to Jesus' followers that Jesus has experienced the resurrection. The book of Mark is literally the earliest eyewitness account that we have in the New Testament of Jesus' life and resurrection. Historians believe that it was written approximately seven years after Jesus' crucifixion. Now, we also know that history independently can confirm Jesus' life, his his ministry, his crucifixion, and his burial. And as we look at these sources, they're not just sources that are sympathetic to the gospel. They are actually considered hostile toward the gospel, and yet they agree with significant parts of the historical account found in the gospels. Three of those facts in particular, I want to share those with you. The first one is this, that that Jesus' tomb was discovered empty by women. And you say, why, why was this significant? I'll, I'll tell you why it's significant. Because in the first century, things were a little bit different than they are here today in our lives, in our culture, in our society. In the first century in Jewish life, they, they would not have ever um, come up with the idea of women being the central focus at such a critical moment in history. Some people believe that that, um, there were so many years between the time that Jesus lived and died and the time that the Gospels were written that really there was the the opportunity for legend to develop. Um, Some of us in our families, there are legendary things in our families. There are things that that we say happened that may not have happened exactly like they happened because over the decades, legends do what? They grow, okay? They change a little bit. They morph into something that really did not happen. 
But there's so little time between Mark's writing and when Jesus actually died and the fact that they are these women are given credit to being the ones that first entered the tomb. In Jewish society, it never would have been written that way were it not true. Because if it could be fabricated, it would be said that a man walked into the tomb and found Jesus gone. They just didn't do things that way. And so we realize that that even historically, the things that are used to determine whether or not something is true are in agreement with the gospel. Secondly, Secondly, the disciples had experiences, real experiences with one that they believed to be the risen Christ. Historically, this is not argued. Thirdly, that due to preaching, and I, and I want to specifically say that, that what the preaching in the book of Acts, if you go back and you read the book of Acts and you read about people that are preaching in the book of Acts, preaching is not about grace. You know, when we, when we preach today, we, we want to talk about the love of Jesus, right? You can, you can, you can uh, attract a lot more with honey than you can vinegar. We want to talk about the fact that Jesus loved us, that God loves us so much that he sent his only son. We want to talk about grace, and we want people to be able to accept Jesus. And so we, we, we talk about grace. We talk about love. Do you know what they preached about in the book of Acts? You all crucified Jesus, but lucky for you on the third day, he rose again. That's what they preached. They preached the crucifixion and they preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And with that as their message, the Bible says thousands and thousands accepted Christ as their savior. Think of that. Think of of how fast the church grew with that as its message. I want you to also understand that through the resurrection, there is victory. We sang about that this morning. There is victory over death through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we don't ever have to wonder when we're talking about resurrection, we don't ever have to wonder if Jesus will die again because he has resurrected once. He is already, he has the, the, the authority over death. He already possesses the keys of death and hell. Romans chapter 6, Paul says in verse 9, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death has no, long, no longer has mastery over him. Jesus has mastery over death. He has the keys. He has the authority. And what resurrection means is that Jesus is, that, that, that resurrection is Jesus' victory over death. And I want you to know that because of his resurrection and because of that victory, Jesus is the son of God. He is God. Secondly, there's a question that I I think it's good to look at, and that is why, why do people 
struggle to accept the, resu- the, the uh, resurrection of Jesus? Why do they struggle um, to, to uh, believe that Jesus actually was raised from the dead? And I think the answer is pretty simple because to, to believe in the resurrection is to accept the fact that a corpse could be standing up in front of you and be alive after it was dead. I think it's interesting today because a lot of our movies and uh, a lot of television programs um, really are fascinated, and I think culturally there's a lot of people fascinated with the idea of zombies. Do you know that there are major cities in America that have a zombie apocalypse uh, plan? You realize that? That, that if, if, if there's a bunch of walking dead in the community, they've got a plan. They know what to do. They should have been focused on a virus. I'm just thinking, you know. But, but, but there's literally, there's a plan on what to do if there's a bunch of people that used to be alive that are dead and now they're walking around. They're, 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 that's, that's a plan. It's hard to, it's hard to imagine that. Look at Luke chapter 24. I I think I'm going to share something here that you might not have thought of before, but but I think it's important for us. Starting in verse 9, it says, When they came back from the tomb, this is the women, they told all the things to the eleven and to the others. So they they said, man, there's an angel. He said, the Lord, uh, that Jesus is, is risen from the dead. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women. Do you know why they didn't believe them? They were women. Um, That's the truth. That is the truth of their society, their culture. If a man had been there, it would be different. Okay? But then it says, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Here's what I want to say. Maybe you have been struggling with the idea of whether or not the resurrection is true. And maybe even those thoughts and those struggles have caused you to feel a sense of condemnation in your own heart. You're like, man, I shouldn't shouldn't question that. I shouldn't struggle with that. Do you realize that that's exactly where the disciples were? They were, it says that, that literally the, 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 the words seemed to them like nonsense. They struggled to believe that Jesus was alive. Thomas fully rejected the notion. Fully rejected it. Look at what John chapter 20 verse 25 says, the second part of it. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands... And put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. As Thomas stood right there, Thomas, okay, if, 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 if Christianity is, if Christian faith is the resurrection, Thomas is not there. Okay? Thomas is not there. If you're struggling to believe something like the resurrection, if you're struggling to believe that Jesus raised from the dead on the third day, you're in good company because all the disciples struggled. They all struggled and Thomas flat out rejected it. 
So how did the disciples come to a place where they actually believed? How did they do it? What happened? Because something had to happen. And I'll tell you that it wasn't the empty tomb because when the angel spoke, man, they were just confused, okay? They were confused. First, these women are telling us stuff and we don't understand women speak evidently in Jewish culture. They were confused. They did not understand it. They, they, they were not accepting of it. So what happened? And I'll tell you what happened. Jesus walked with them. Jesus talked with them. Jesus appeared to them. He even made breakfast for them. Now that's a great way to convince somebody of anything. Make them a good breakfast. Sit down with them. Talk with them. When Jesus appeared to them, what happened? They believed. When Jesus appeared to Thomas, and Thomas was able to put his hands in the nail marks on Jesus' hands and feet, when he was able to, to, I imagine, could slip a few fingers into the wound on Jesus' side where the the sword uh, or the spear... um, was, was thrust into Jesus' side. What did Thomas say? He said, my Lord and my God. He believed. But he had to touch him. He had to touch him. Is it any wonder why it's a struggle? What did Jesus say to Thomas? Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. You believe because you've, you've touched me. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. That's where you and I are. We haven't seen the resurrected Jesus with our eyes. I'm going to get to this later, but it's this place, seeing without believing, okay? Seeing what is a miracle, uh, believing what is a miracle without seeing it takes faith. That's what's ultimately required. I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had been given written permission to persecute the Christians. He would put them in jail. He would would go into their homes or, or their places of work, or maybe he would go into the synagogue, and he would find them, and he would arrest them, and he would have them imprisoned. Even when there were those who were being martyred for their belief in the risen Christ, uh, he, when they were being martyred, he was the one giving approval for those actions. This is how hardcore Paul was. So what changed in Paul? On the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him on the road and spoke with him, and that's what convinced Paul to accept Jesus. That's what convinced him you might say, you know what, I, I, I'm gonna, I, I feel like I'm going to need a corpse standing in front of me. I feel like I need more proof. That's where the faith comes in. We are not eyewitnesses to the miracle. We can read eyewitness accounts, but to believe a miracle requires faith. Let me share something with you that A well-known apologist that I follow said, he said, a man rejects God neither because of intellectual demands 
nor because of the scarcity of evidence. A man rejects God because of the moral resistance that refuses to admit his need for God. That's why we struggle to believe. Because if we believe, it's going to mean something. And there's something inside of us that does not want to believe that we need God. And it's the resurrection that gives us that access to God. And so I believe that literally hell fights against that belief, that decision. And only faith can get us through it. If Jesus rose from the dead, then his other claims are true. And that means that he is the resurrection and the life. And if something is dead and it's going to come back to life, it's only Jesus that can do it. And you and I are in need of him. And without Jesus, we are dead in our sins. That's what it means. Number three, why should I believe in Jesus' resurrection. Let me, let me throw out a few things that could be reasons. One is over 400 Old Testament prophecies. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, statistically, for one person to fulfill eight of those Old Testament prophecies... It would it, the, the statistical chances are 10 to the 17th power. That's, that's, a, that's a very slim chance. That's no chance. And yet there were 400 prophecies in the Old Testament given about Jesus that Jesus fulfilled or is fulfilling. That is something that, that we can't even comprehend. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgression. Speaking of Jesus, 750 years. These prophecies, some of them were made a thousand years before Jesus lived. But this one in Isaiah, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Maybe, maybe what, what should cause us to believe in the resurrection is... Um, that Jesus predicted his own death and his resurrection. Now, that's kind of gutsy to predict your death and your resurrection. Matthew 16, Matthew records in verse 21, he said, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. So he's, he's saying it's going to happen in Jerusalem. He's going to suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This is a lot of detail about what's going to happen. A lot of detail. And I'll tell you what, I have news for you. You probably don't really have many details about your own death, let alone your resurrection. Okay? As somebody that has sort of experienced that myself, (laughs) myself, I had no idea. But Jesus told them, maybe, maybe the fact of the empty tomb, maybe that, that, is that, is that enough of a reason? You know, anybody could, could make a tomb become empty, uh, but, but maybe, maybe the fact that, that literally a corpse has never been provided. A cor- Nobody ever said, here's Jesus' corpse. We know where Jesus' body is. 
Maybe that's enough of a reason. Maybe it's the fact that witnesses claim to have seen Jesus alive. We read what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the second half of verse 5 and verse 6. It says that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at that time, most of whom were still living, excuse me, though some have fallen asleep. James Dunn, a theologian from the University of Durham, he says that this is a creed that Paul was speaking. And he was telling it to the Corinthian church, but this creed is dated back within months of Jesus' resurrection. This is confirmed uh, historically that they, they, they're able to point back and see this creed evident in the church. Not, it's not seven years like when Mark was written, but it's literally within months of Jesus' resurrection. And Paul is naming names. He names the 12 apostles that, that literally they are eyewitnesses, that the 500 are witnesses, that these people can be checked with to confirm these things. There's not enough time for legends to develop. Not enough time for alternative stories to take place. How about the fact that that secular historians who would be considered hostile with the gospel or to the gospel, like like Josephus, the Jewish historian um, who wrote something called the Testimonium Flavianum where he said that Jesus is the Christ and on the third day he appeared restored to life. Maybe, maybe it's that, that Jesus' followers were willing to die for what they saw. They were eyewitnesses, and their testimony ultimately cost them their life. So why should you believe in the resurrection? It's because the resurrection is all about bringing that which is dead back to life again. And I will bet you that each of us can look in our lives and we can see things that need to be resurrected in us. It could be a relationship that we have. It could be a circumstance that we're living through. It could be a health issue that we are facing. It could be a marriage that we're struggling in. But there is some aspect to our lives where we need the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ in our lives. And I want you to know that Jesus, because of his authority, because of his power, because of the resurrection power, he breathes new life into that which was dead. Now, I need you to understand something, that without Jesus, without Jesus, each of us are in exactly the same situation. We are spiritually dead, and there is no no hope for us without Jesus. We are spiritually dead. But today, on Easter Sunday, we are declaring hope. Why? Because Jesus has authority over death, and through the power of his resurrection, we have hope. Maybe you say, how in the world, how in the world can you believe that? 
Why, why should I believe that? What can get me over the hump so that I can put my trust? Why should I believe that? Remember what I read in John chapter 11, Jesus' words to Martha when he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Here's, here's the biggest reason of all, because the one who believes in me will live even though he die. You see, friends, we're all, we're all gonna die. But Jesus said to us that if we will put our trust in him and the power of his resurrection, even though we die, we will live. You say, Kevin, how can I have this, this life, this resurrection? Paul said in Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved without, without belief. In the resurrection, there is no hope. There is no salvation. We need the resurrection. Would you bow your heads? Father, I thank you. I thank you for the resurrection of your son, Jesus. I thank you, Father, that you love the world so much that you sent your son to die for us. But not just to die. But your plan was that on the third day to raise him to new life. I thank you for the power of the resur- resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, if there's one here today that's been struggling, if there's one here today that there's a great spiritual battle taking place in their heart, in their mind, over the issue of the resurrection of Jesus, I ask that your Holy Spirit will begin to draw their heart and their mind toward yourself. Father, I pray that even now they will make a faith statement because anytime we say we believe in a miracle, it takes faith to do so. And they would simply say, as Paul told us, Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want him to be my Lord. And I believe, Father, that you raised him from the dead. The Bible tells us that when someone makes that statement of their own free will, that all of heaven rejoices when even just one person comes to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So, Father, I, I, I rejoice today thinking that there, there might be one in this service who would say, those words in their own heart and believe them to be true that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Jesus from the dead. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that still today men and women are coming to you to accept Jesus as their Savior and that 2,000 years later those who are dead are being brought In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed a prayer like that today for the first time, or maybe it's been a long time since you prayed something like that and you felt that something significant happened inside of you as a result of that, I've got a gift that I would like to give you. And I just invite you uh, on our website, silvercreekchurch.org slash decide. 
there is uh, an opportunity for you to fill out just a little brief form. I've got a gift that I want to send you, and, and all I need you to do is reach out to me, and I put that gift in your hand, and it's something for you to read and to work on that will help you understand the real Jesus. It's been so good to be with you today, to be able to, to, to worship together with you, to be able to declare that he is not here. He is risen. In 2021, we still get to declare that to the world. Amen. God bless you. It's been so wonderful to be with you. I pray God's blessing on you today. Have an awesome day.